As we begin this morning, I want to remind you of our July Grace Challenge. We have been uh, really throughout the entire year learning about grace, but also participating in grace and, and, and practicing that to one degree or another. And uh, our challenge for the month of July are our backpacks and blessing boxes. And I wanted to remind you about a couple of things. Several of you have turned those in and I've got a full one here this morning, and uh, these are to be filled with the teacher supplies, and these are for the student supplies. Um, someone asked, are you supposed to get everything on the list? That would be helpful. Okay, uh, Get everything on the list. Now, uh, it might be you look at the list and go, I'm going to spend quite a bit here. Uh, and that would uh, be okay if you paired up with someone or, you know, uh, joined forces in some way. But we would like to try to get all the backpacks and baskets to be consistent because we're going to give these to the teachers at the Pleasant Valley Elementary School uh, just a couple of miles south of us here. So we're going to do that. Uh, those need to be returned two weeks from today. And so July is is quickly coming and, and going and we want to make sure that you take the opportunity, if you grab one of these, make sure you're diligent about filling that. And hopefully you have a prayer pal that you're working with on that. And that you not only take the time to fill the bag or the basket, but that you fill each other by uh, praying for the upcoming school year and praying for specific struggles that he or she might have. Now, uh, if you don't have a prayer pal, the gift cards are the other part of this. That will be especially helpful. Uh, we have a list. We've run that by teachers, professional. We've run it by Pleasant Valley. But we realize that those teachers will have things that they need to buy that maybe we didn't think of buying or a unique case. So we want to try to provide each teacher with a gift card from Walmart and Amazon so that they can buy the things which they might need. So if you don't have a prayer pal or if you didn't get a backpack or a box, please, please take a gift card. Uh, there's The easel is right out here on the south side doors. And if you'll just grab that, that'll be your little reminder. Oh, yeah, I need to get one of those. Some have asked, well, where do you get these gift cards? Walmart. You would get a Walmart gift card from Walmart. And the Amazon gift cards you can get at Dylan's if uh, you shop there. So uh, an easy way to contribute and certainly a helpful way to contribute. Uh, many of the teachers or former teachers that we have here at Northside have, have come up to me and said, thank you for doing this. It really means a lot. And, um, as a school, you're going to start just one less thing for those teachers and their students to think about. So I hope that you'll join us uh, with this campaign and take a, it looks like all the backpacks and the baskets have been taken. It looks like we still have quite a few gift cards. So if you haven't taken the opportunity, go out the south door, grab a few of those today, return those by July 29th. The gift cards, by the way, are, people want to know where do you return them to. You can return them right where you got them. We'll get them to the right place. Uh, if you want to uh, give them to me or put them by my office, that's okay, too, if you know where that is. Uh, the gift cards you can put in the contribution plate as they go. You can put them in the lock boxes on your way out. Uh, we'll get them in the right place. Uh, but two weeks is what we've got left in that campaign. This morning I want to ask you, how many of you have ever been in misery? I mean, just total misery. Go ahead, raise your hand if you've ever been in misery. Okay? Me too. Uh, actually, it happened on my vacation, uh, strangely enough. Um, 
I was asked to go on the, the mystery trip, and the kids went to Branson. Uh, Branson, uh, yeah, Branson. And uh, so we were, we were all in misery. And we, uh, so I'm talking with Katie and asking her, you know, what, what, what do I need to do? And I said, do you want me to drive my car? She said, no, no, I've got a, a different spot for you. I'd like you to drive uh, the trailer. Uh, to which I reluctantly said, okay. I'm not a big fan of driving trailers, but nobody else who's going is either. So you get the guy who won't say no. And here I am, and we're driving in misery. And the thing, the weird thing about that state is, you know, in Kansas, we kind of like our roads flat and straight. Completely different MO in with the Missouri Department of Transportation. Uh, they just find a way, wind it in, up and down. So driving uh, is quite an adventure, especially with a trailer. When you've got a road that's winding and curving up and down this way and that, and there's absolutely no shoulder. There's no room for error. I mean, if that wheel goes off, trailer's going off, bad things are going to happen. Wouldn't have been a problem if, if our crew was driving nice and easy and slow. They were driving through Missouri like it was on fire. <laughs> I'm trying to keep up. I've got a death grip on the steering wheel and just trying to keep it between the edges. When we finally got back into Kansas, I was so relieved, and we got to the gas station, I kind of felt my hands were tense and sweaty, my heart was still going a little fast, and I thought, you know, why was that so stressful? I've driven lots of roads, I've pulled lots of trailers. The reason it was stressful is because there was no room for error. Now, I made a joke about misery and misery, but there's a lot of people who live in, not Missouri, but they live in misery because they're, they're running things so tight in their lives, they got no room for error. Many people live their lives like that. They are stressed out. They're not just on the edge. They are edgy all the time because they got no Room for error. And so starting today, we're going to talk about that in this new series that we are calling Margin. It is God's boundary lines for abundant living. You see, on, on roads that have plenty of margin, you know, you've got the, the white line there. You're supposed to stay within that. But then you've got an extra amount of paved road that if you have to move over, you can without great peril to yourself or to your passengers. Well, in the same way, God wants us to live in such a way that we've got his lines. And the reason for those lines is to keep us from endangering ourselves or our passengers. Living on the edge keeps us on the edge. And God didn't intend for us to live on the edge. He didn't intend your life to be white-knuckled, grip the steering wheel with all you have and just hope, hope that nothing goes wrong. No, God... In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said it specifically. I have come that they might have life 
and that they might have it abundantly. Well, how do we do that? Proverbs 14, verse 8 is going to be kind of our key verse. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 8, if you want to turn there in your uh, analog Bible or your digital Bible one way or the other. Right toward the center in the Old Testament in that book of wisdom, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 8 says, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is self-deception. If we stay within God's lines, we'll have less stress and more living. That, that sounds good. Everybody agrees with that intellectually, but how do we do that? And why does it even matter? Why? We have to... If How you do it is by giving thought to your ways. In regard to your marriage, you have to give thought to being a godly husband or wife. In regard to being a parent, you have to give thought about how you're going to raise your kids to be disciples of Jesus Christ. In regard to your job, you have to give thought to how you bring excellence to doing what you do, fulfilling God's calling for you. See, there's so many areas of our life we sort of just go along and and just mindlessly follow what everyone else is doing. And Proverbs 14.8 says, the righteous give thought. To their ways, but the folly of fools is self-deception. So we gotta think about our ways. And we gotta be careful when I say think about our ways, because there's some people, I mean, like I said, there's some people who, who underthink things, right? They just never think anything through. They're just living on the edge all the time. There's some people that overthink things in the journey of life. They're not driving on the road. They're not even on the road. They're spending hours and days and weeks and months and years just looking at the map. And at some point, you got to make motion. So you don't overthink it. Don't underthink it. But you got to think and act accordingly. May we give thought to our way. So let's look at what Jesus said. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37. If you don't have a Bible... Uh, reach under the pew or reach in front of you. Uh, you turn to page 959 of your pew Bible. And you can join us in Matthew chapter 5. Before I jump right into it, let me remind you that Matthew chapter 5, if you don't know, was a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. One of Jesus' great sermons. He probably preached it more than once. And Mark told you it was the greatest sermon ever preached, which is... Great title for your own sermon, right? But he was talking, of course, about the Sermon on the Mount. What made it the greatest sermon ever preached is the fact that Jesus did a cool, cool thing. If you look through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, there's two phrases. There's two phrases that Jesus uses consistently. You've heard it said, but I tell you. You've heard it said, but I tell you. Now, what Jesus is doing there is he, as a rabbi, as a Jewish rabbi, is saying, you heard it said. In other words, you know the law. You know the teachings. You know the Old Testament. You heard it said. He's sort of laying the foundations. He just didn't come to abolish it. He came to absolutely fulfill it. And in fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you're going to follow me, I'm not just a normal rabbi, but I tell you. We're going to not just go on this foundation, we're going to go to the next level. You've heard it said, do not murder. And most Jewish people said, well, we've got that handled. 
Haven't it killed anyone so far? Maybe Christians think, well, you know, haven't murdered anybody yet. But Jesus says, but I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother is subject to the judgment. Oh, man. I wouldn't even survive Sundays. Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. And everybody said, well, you know, I've never had sexual relations with anyone else but my spouse. And Jesus takes the next level. But I tell you, anyone who looks with the intent to lust has already committed adultery in his mind or in his heart. And we go, oh. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's not just showing us the basics of the law. He's saying, I'm going to take you to a whole new level of righteousness, a whole new level of holy living. Now, we're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. And Jesus is talking here about a level of uh, Jewish living, uh, the oaths that they took. And there was a whole system that I can't go into, but basically amounted to this. There were certain promises that mattered And there were certain promises that didn't. You could swear an oath one way, and everybody said, that guy's got to keep that. He he swore by that. And there were other oaths that said, well, you know, everybody breaks those oaths. This is a context for Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, page 959 if you're in the Pew Bible. Again, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. All you need to simply say is yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now you've got to understand, this lesson is foundational to this entire series. uh, In the English language, of course Jesus didn't speak English, uh, but in the English language there are, by some estimates, a quarter of a million words. Uh, Most of those you'll hear in a sermon on Sunday morning. But uh, out of this quarter of a million words, there's two, in my estimation, and as Jesus taught it, that make a difference in how you live. And these two words are yes or no. Two words that if, if they were uttered and meant and kept, they would radically change our world. Just, just think how yes or no affects so many areas of your life. As a parent... How many of you have children that you firmly believe are destined for a career in law or sales? Because you say no, and they say, but dad. You say, yes, this is what I want you to do. And they say, let's talk about this. Do you know why they do that? Because they are testing the quality of your word. Does your yes really mean yes? Does your no truly mean no? I was at the store the other day. I hate to pick on them because I've been in there too, you know. 
But this little child wanted some candy off the, the right at eye level. Thank you, Dylan's. And he was begging for it. And the parent was struggling. He's like, buddy, you know, come on. I mean, he's, he's in negotiations, all right? He's already lost. It was all he could do to say the word. I knew he wanted to say it. I knew he needed to say it. But in that moment, he refused to say the word no and mean it. See, it changes everything. What about, what about your morals? Are there things that you watch and listen to that are on your iPhone, that are on your playlist, that are on your Netflix queue that you watch? I mean, you're thinking of right now, oh, I've got to finish that season. But if after church today, myself or one of the elders say, hey, can we go home and watch Netflix with, with you? Would that be all right? You might say, eh, eh, I have to pick some new shows. Why? Because you said yes to some things that you shouldn't have said yes to. You refused to say no to the things that God wouldn't want you to have in your heart. Your financial life, just think of how it would change if Congress learned the word no. I'm serious. Several years ago, our president was making fun of the opposition party. I'm going to get into politics, but, but he, he, was, he was joking them and mocking them. And he said, well, this is just a party of no. And I said, I, I would kind of like more of no from Washington. That'd be okay. Just think how it would change if we used those words and meant them. Today's lesson is, is just so foundational to the rest of the series because you have to learn to use these words because it matters so much. And that's when I'm going to finish this, the, the, the three whys that this matters, okay? Uh, again, this is foundational. You hear all the other lessons. Those of you listening to the podcast, those of you watching on Vimeo, when you hear the other lessons, if you didn't get this lesson... You need to go back to this lesson and hear these two important words. All right. Three biblical reasons why it matters. Number one, when you say yes or no, it's a matter of your integrity. In the Jewish culture, as I said, some promises mattered more than others. And there were times when keeping your word didn't matter as much. It was common to make promises based on objects of the earth and not on the name of God. But in our modern context, I mean, we can pick on their culture and their time. But what about our culture and our time? Just not this weekend, but last weekend, I stood about right here, maybe, maybe a little farther back. And I sat first uh, front row seat next to Matt and Blanca as they made their vows to each other. And they said, yes, I take you. And yes, I take you for better or worse, forsaking all others in front of God and these witnesses. And I stand there as someone who's been married almost 20 years. And in my mind, I love Matt and Blanca, but I, I know what you all know too. That the world is going to test the integrity of their vow. Temptations will come. 
People will come. Hard times will come that will test. Sickness will come. Children will come that will test the integrity of their vow. In that moment, they believe it with all their heart. But life is going to test the integrity of their word, as he will in your own marriage. Marriages last because two people kept their word in front of God. May we in our marriage keep our word because it matters to him. What about what about in business? Maybe you're in the type of business where you have pages and pages and reams and reams of contracts and papers all designed to do basically one thing. To make that person or entity or business keep their word. And at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to make that person or business keep their word is the integrity of their word. They're going to keep it or not. Not very many, many times has it happened. There's still people who do deals on a handshake. Because you can trust the validity of their word. You don't need a contract. All you need is their word. Because their yes means yes and their no means no. I'm not saying don't use contracts. I'm just illustrating the point that we got a whole lot of trouble and a whole lot of complexity in our world that comes down to will you keep your word or not. Does this matter? Matthew chapter 12, 36 and 37. Matthew 12, 36 and 37 Jesus said it was very, very important. Jesus said, I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment, listen to this, for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. I'm convinced the older I get that the number one key to success, especially in business, but I think generally in the world, is an element of fanatical integrity. A level of, 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 an, of analyzing what you say to a level that's so almost what the world would call extreme because you desire to keep your word no matter what. Number two, a second reason this matters is that yes or no sets a boundary. Proverbs chapter 22, back over to Proverbs. Proverbs 22:28. Scripture says, "Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your ancestors." Boundaries are important. If you think boundaries aren't important, try building a fence 1 foot onto your neighbor's property. See if boundaries matter. We know that's true in a silly thing like building a fence, but there are so many areas in our relationships with our families and even with other people that we refuse to set the proper boundaries. Yes or no sets a boundary. It says, this is where I am. This is mine and this is yours. This is yes, this is no. Boundary stones marked limitations. They said what was off limits. You think about it. 
I didn't really grow up in this time. But 40, 50, 60 years ago, when you went to church, and after church, if you wanted to go somewhere, to a restaurant, to a shop, you had to wait till Monday. Why? Because everything was closed on Sunday. Businesses said, we want this time to be for the Lord, for people to observe their faith, and for their families. And then little by little, that boundary was moved. Now, there are a few shining stars. You can try to go to Chick-fil-A today. But right there on the sign, for all the world to see, are two simple words. Closed Sunday. I'm sure there were many, many meetings. You know, McDonald's, you know, Wendy's, what about Arby's? They're all going to make hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars more than we are. And probably through it, Kathy had to say, no. I'm drawing the boundary here. You see, he said yes or no, and it drew a boundary. And I believe that the Lord blesses those who say what they mean and mean what they say, and with fanatical integrity hold the boundary. May we always, the most important thing about boundaries is that we align our boundaries with God's boundaries. When when we see clearly what this book says about the boundaries, we can know easily what's off limits and what's okay. And the world's going to change their opinions. Well, these two people can get married. Well, this is all right. This is just, you know, that was olden days. But God's boundaries are still God's boundaries. And may God's people never for a single inch move God's boundaries. They are important and we've got to align ourselves with them. Here's an example of a boundary. Joshua chapter 24. If you want to turn Old Testament with me. Joshua 24. They are coming to... An outset, a challenge. And Joshua's reminding the people of Israel where they've been and where they're going. And he says, there have been some times that you have messed this up. You've had these foreign gods and you've worshipped them and you shouldn't have done that. You went outside the boundary. And Joshua says in that famous well-known passage in verse 14 of Joshua 24. Now fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You see, Joshua is drawing a very clear and immovable boundary. I think one of the greatest things we can do for our families and for our children is to have definite boundaries. It's been many years ago, but the Brensings, uh, in fact, they still had uh, kids in the youth group. One of their children is Denise. If you don't know Denise, one of the things you know about Denise is she's an excellent athlete, tremendously skilled and adept. And she had some opportunities to, to be on teams that practiced and went to tournaments that were on Sundays. But Albert clearly said, if it's on Sunday, it's a no for the Brensings. Oh, well, she might lose her spot on the team. She might not be able to play first. 
It didn't matter. For Albert and Treva, that was a boundary. Now, now, do you think that had some weight with their kids? Do you think that had some weight with other families on the team? You bet it did. May we not, may we not fear from setting boundaries as Joshua did, as the Brinsings did. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This leads us to the last point. Boundaries are not just a matter of integrity. Uh, yes and no is not just a matter of integrity. It's not just setting a boundary. This reveals your priorities. In the scripture that was read for us in Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells the story, and as we were told by Cole, it was telling us really about the cost of discipleship. And Jesus said, listen, this is what discipleship is all about. If somebody went to war, wouldn't he sit down and figure out if he had the strength to go to war? If somebody wants to build a tower, shouldn't he sit down first and calculate the materials and how many people he'll need to hire and how long it's going to take? And if he has the level of commitment to that project, otherwise he's going to get halfway up and go, you know, I'm tired of this tower. This tower is costing me way more than I planned on. There's way too many people at this job site. I am just unable to finish. And so he's got a halfway built tower and everybody mocks him. And he says, that's what discipleship is like. You've got to be able to draw boundaries. The man thinking about building a tower failed if he said yes to everything. To succeed, he had to say no to things that were outside of building the tower. He had to commit himself to, to saying, I'm going to build this tower, and that's the priority. May we let our yes or no be decisive. That's what that requires. Uh, I got a, a wedding invitation. And, and I had to decide in that moment whether we could attend the wedding or not. So I pulled out my phone, checked my calendar. It was open. And then I RSVP'd. What does RSVP mean? You think, well, it means reserve, please, something like that. No. RSVP is a French acronym. It means responde s'il vous plaît. What's a French acronym? A French acronym is an acronym that is afraid of all the other acronyms and has a little bit of attitude, okay? Responde s'il vous plaît is saying, please give us an answer. Please make a decision. I had to give them a yes or a no. And because I gave them a yes, that means if any one of you asked me to do something on August 11th, I'll open up my calendar and say, sorry, can't do it. Have a wedding. I gave my word we'd be at the wedding. That becomes my priority. The problem in our world is we try to say yes to most everything. And you can't do it. You've got to prioritize. You have to be decisive. So it shows integrity, sets a boundary, reveals our most important priorities. May we use yes or no thoughtfully and decisively. This morning, you have a decision to make. Before you make that decision, I want to remind you about a story that you've heard all this week. A story about 12 boys on a soccer team. About your age. 
And they went with their coach to a cave way down deep in Thailand. And they were getting through there, and then the rains came, and the floods came, and they got trapped. And so the word went out, and people found out, and all the emergency responders came in, and they had to figure out, could they come up with a plan? How would they rescue them? How would they save them? Well, this past Tuesday, the good news is, of course, we all know they were rescued out of that cave. But that rescue came at a price. One of the rescuers, a brave 38-year-old man by the name of Oliver Saman Gunman, he died. How did he die? He couldn't breathe because he didn't have oxygen. Because he was swimming out of the cave after he had left all the oxygen he had for those boys and their coach. That diver made a decision to pay the ultimate price so that they might be rescued. He made a decision. And at some point, I imagine he knew there was no going back. In the same way you and I were rescued by someone, and the price was this. He laid down his life for us. And at some point, it wasn't in a cave, it was actually in a garden, and he was praying to his father, Father, if it's your will, please let this cup pass. It was not the father's will, and so Jesus abided by it and went to the cross. And as he gasped for air, as he was hung to a wooden cross and mocked by his enemies, both physical and spiritual. He cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Your salvation has been paid for. The rescue has been made. The question is, will you reach out and take hold? You have a decision to make. Will you choose to follow Jesus? The only way that we have of rescue in this world. Or will you choose to try to do it yourself? You can't waffle on this decision. You can't be yes, no, yes, no. You've got to make a decision. Because there's coming a day when you won't have the option anymore of making the decision. And so this morning, I want to call you. I want to invite you. I want to remind you that now you've got no other time but now to choose Jesus. Just like Brooke did this past week. We're praying for you. We hope and pray that your rescue has been attained. But if it has not... You want to know the grace of Jesus. May you not forget the price that he paid. May you decide, I will follow Jesus all the way. I'll do what he said to do, to believe and to be baptized so that my sins can be washed away. If you are ready, he's ready, we're ready. Please come forward. Or if you have any other need, please come as we stand and sing.